Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. We will get to our story in a short moment, but first, we want to remind you that on Friday, March 18th, our new YouTube series will be starting. Make sure you go to YouTube and type in the search bar, Ohio Mysteries Presents, and we will be the first video that pops up. Be sure to subscribe. Also, please consider becoming a patron of Ohio Mysteries. There you will receive some rewards for different tiers and also get mentioned on the podcast. We have some special content up there, like detectives that we interview, and some just little shorts that we do. You can do all that by going to patreon.com slash ohiomysteries. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash ohiomysteries. Now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. It's time for a new mystery. Host Steve Yoder, and with us as always is our researcher and journalist who has spent more than 30 years telling these kinds of stories for the Acker Beacon Journal, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. Steve, we've got three mysteries tonight, all of them rooted in Ohio's extraordinary music history. Let me guess, does one of them have to do with the OJs? Uh, yeah, indeed. I see you remember that revelation from a couple months ago. We'll start with that one. How it took nearly 40 years to determine that bones found in a trash bag belonged to an early member of the superstar R&B group, the OJs. After that, we'll revisit the legend of how a disco hit by the Ohio players unwittingly picked up the screams of a woman being murdered. Oh, yeah, I found that one. Uh, Yeah, you get full credit for that one. Yeah, I wonder how many of our older listeners will remember it from their disco days. When you mentioned it to me, it all came flooding back. Finally, we'll close with the murder-suicide of two brothers in one of Dayton's music family dynasties. With no witness as to what their dispute was, The motive is still a mystery 23 years later. All right, let's get started. First, we're going back to February the 18th, 1982. Employees of a machine shop in the Summit County city of Twinsburg 
were taking some metal shavings back to the woods to dump when they stumbled across a human skull. At first, they didn't believe it was real. They started showing it around. But eventually, they decided they'd better call police. Twinsburg detectives went to the business on Cannon Road to have a look. Oh, it was real, all right. So they started looking for the rest of the unfortunate soul. And just 50 feet from where the skull had been discovered, they found a garbage bag filled with human bones. A forensic anthropologist determined that the dismembered remains had been at the location between two and four years. There were no clothes and no ID. It wasn't even clear if the bones had been there the entire time or bagged up and dumped there long after his death. One thing that was certain, it met a violent end. The Summit County Medical Examiner's Office couldn't determine an exact cause of death, but there were signs of blunt force trauma, stabbing, and a post-mortem fire. Because the site wasn't far from Twinsburg's biggest employer, the now-shuttered Chrysler Stamping Plant, investigators wondered if the man or his killer had ties to the big factory. But if he was missed by anyone, police couldn't find a report. They sought the public's help. The bones suggested he was probably on the small side, maybe five foot six inches. He was black and between the ages of 20 and 25 at the time of his death, whenever that was. It could have happened in the late 70s. The remains also suggested he had a slight forward curvature of the spine. A professor at Kent State University made a sketch of the man's skull, and the media published it. Detectives received a few leads, but they were all ruled out. Many, many years later, a forensic artist with the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation used the skull to create a clay bust of the man, and that was also publicized, hoping it would ring someone's bell. It didn't. In 2018, Akron police officials reached out to Twinsburg, believing maybe those remains they'd found way back in 1982 belonged to a missing person on their books. It didn't. But the request reminded Twinsburg that it might be time to solve this mystery. You see, while human memories fade, human ingenuity grows brighter. Investigators submitted the remains to the DNA Doe Project and their wildly successful familial genealogy process. The DNA Doe Project is a group of volunteers who work on their own time to help law enforcement officials identify human remains nationwide. The volunteers put the unidentified man's profile into two public genealogy databases, GEDmatch and Family Tree DNA. That's where people submit their DNA while trying to connect with other people on their family tree. Then build a family tree with the hope of connecting them. This process led to a cousin, Margaret O'Sullivan, in Cleveland, who confirmed to police that she had a cousin who went missing a long time ago, and that cousin had a still-living brother in Georgia. Now, that brother has never been identified, but he did share his DNA with police. 
and the connection was confirmed. In December of 2021, Twinsburg announced their John Doe was Frankie Little Jr., an early guitarist and songwriter for the band The OJs. Frankie was born in Cleveland in 1943. When he was a teenager, the members of the OJs were forming a band 40 miles away in the city of Canton. The OJs, at least some of them, were still students at Canton McKinley High School. As the OJs began to release their first albums, Frankie Little joined them. He played guitar. He sang on the 1962 song, Down at the Corner, and he was credited as a writer on several songs, including Do the Jerk in 1964, Pretty Words from 1966, and the group's 1967 song, Oh, How You Hurt Me. The band moved out to Los Angeles, chasing their dream of hitting it big, and Frankie moved with them. But according to bandmates, Frankie had left a girl back home, and he missed her terribly. He returned to Ohio, and the OJs moved on without him. Eventually, two of the OJs' five singers left, and the OJs became a trio that soared into stardom with hits like Backstabbers, Love Train, and For the Love of Money. They ended up in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now, after Frankie was back in Ohio, he was drafted into the United States Army for the Vietnam War, where he served a two-year tour. One can only wonder how that experience might have affected him, because when his tour in Vietnam ended, he never reconnected with the people who knew him best. He didn't go back to California. His bandmates said they never heard from him again. Even his family in Cleveland lost track of him. Investigators said they had trouble finding a paper trail of his life. The last record they could find had him living in Cleveland near East 105th Street and Superior Avenue. That was in the mid-1970s and 25 miles from where his bones were found. In finally learning his identity, police also learned that Frankie Little had a daughter who died in 2012 and he reportedly had a son, though they were unable to identify or locate him. Identifying that bag of bones was only half the mystery. Police still don't know who killed him or disposed of him. Anyone with information on Little's disappearance and murder is asked to contact Twinsburg Police at 330-405-5679. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now for our second mystery. And this one made me smile because it took me right back to my childhood. 
It was 1975, right after Christmas. I can picture my brother Mike and I sitting on the living room floor with our brand new cassette tape recorders. We each had our own. We would wait for Casey Kasem to come on the radio and play America's Top 40 so we could record our favorite songs. This time, we made sure to record Love Roller Coaster, the new release by the Ohio Players, mostly because we wanted to hear The Scream. We'd been told where to listen for it, found it, then played it over and over again. As the story was told to us, the band was recording the song and had no idea that their mic had picked up the screams of a woman being murdered in an adjacent studio. Well, back in 1975, there weren't a lot of sources to go to prove or disprove a rumor. It's not like you could pull out your phone to check Snopes, that internet fact-checking site. I can't remember if we believed it, but I'm pretty sure we were adults before we realized just how unlikely this was. Anyway, I was stunned when Steve asked me the other night if I knew about this urban legend. I guess I thought it was a local joke, like somebody in the neighborhood had punked us. As it turns out, it's national folklore, one that thrived because the band refused to refute it. The Ohio Players, by the way, formed in Dayton. They started in 1959 under the name The Ohio Untouchables, and by the mid-1960s, they were releasing songs under their new name. The name was a double entendre. It referred to them as players, i.e. musicians, and players, as in ladies' men, a reputation supported by their use of nude Playboy models on their erotic album covers. They hit the top 40 seven times between 1973 and 1976 with songs like Fire and Love Roller Coaster. The legend of The Scream on Love Roller Coaster has evolved into several versions. In one, the Playboy model on the album cover, who is dripping honey into her mouth, screamed because she had been scalded by honey that had been heated to make it flow more freely. Another version says the scream came from a real 911 call, and the band intentionally sampled it in their song. I love the way Snopes.com explained another version. A band member stabbed his girlfriend to death in the studio as the tape rolled, presumably hoping to be the first person to simultaneously hit number one on both the Billboard singles chart and the FBI's most wanted list. But the most popular version is that it was a woman, maybe someone's girlfriend, maybe a cleaning lady, who was being killed in an adjacent studio. By the way, if you go to find this song on YouTube, it will be at either 1 minute 24 seconds or 2 minutes 32 seconds. It just depends on whether you're playing the single release or the album version. There are other screams and yells and hoots throughout the song, but people have mused that there's good reason this scream stands out. It's very low, almost buried in the mix. It is a muted tone like it was picked up unintentionally, and it sounds very female, in a sea of male voices. Well, we know what happened. It was intentional, and it wasn't a woman. 
According to Snopes, it was Ohio Players keyboardist Billy Beck doing his part to sound like he was riding a roller coaster. The whole story of the scream was started by a radio DJ who made a crack about it, and his observation traveled like wildfire. Later, Ohio Players drummer Jimmy Williams finally admitted that the mystique was good for business, and so the band didn't make an effort to correct anybody. He said, the band took a vow of silence because you sell more records that way. Well, he was right. The song did reach number one on the Billboard 100 in January of 1976. Our third story tonight is a real tragedy. We can tell you who and where and when and what. What nobody can tell you is why. The questions came one night in 1999 when police found two brothers just four blocks apart, one dead, one dying. They were pioneers in Dayton's famous funk music scene and had survived decades of changing trends and music tastes, only to have it all end in one inexplicable violent moment. But let's start at the beginning with this one. About a half hour from Dayton, in Butler County's city of Hamilton, the Troutman brothers were born. Roger Troutman, born in 1951, wasn't the oldest, but he led the way as the musical family rose to prominence. He began recording music while he was still a youngster. There are pictures of him holding a guitar that almost conceal his eight-year-old body. By the time he was 13, he was fronting a band called Lil Roger and his fabulous Vels. They were recording under an obscure label called Teen Records. Roger's brother, Terry, who went by the nickname Zap, was pretty talented himself. He even released a single that hit the R&B charts in 1976. It was about that time that four of the Troutman brothers decided to merge their musical skills. Roger became the primary vocals and guitar. He excelled as the flashy frontman of the group. Terry was on bass, Lester was on drums, and older brother Larry was on percussion. They started producing albums under their own label, Troutman Brothers Records. Now they used a variety of names as they played venues around Ohio and throughout the Midwest while adding more and more musicians and backup vocalists. First, they were called Roger and the Human Body. Later, they called themselves Zap. Yeah, it was Terry's nickname, but heck, it was a good band name too. Much later, they would call themselves Roger and Zap or Zap and Roger. In those early days, when they were just Zap, they were noticed by Parliament Funkadelic and its legendary leader, George Clinton. Clinton encouraged them to sign with Warren Brothers, then helped fund one of their albums when they did. In 1980, Zap had its first breakthrough hit, More Bounce to the Ounce, which reached number two on the Billboard R&B list and top 20 on the pop charts. The band also adopted its signature sound. 
It was slick and electronic and depended on liberal use of the talk box. That's that device that shapes the sound of an instrument, like a guitar, into robotic human speech. Peter Frampton and Joe Walsh were a couple of artists who had mainstream hits with that. In 1982, Zap had a single, Dance Floor, that made it all the way to number one on the R&B charts, and it became a standard in discotheques. The group continued to release albums throughout the 1980s and 1990s. Even as their popularity waned, they continued to perform. Roger was having success with his side solo projects. In 1987, his I Want to Be Your Man reached number three on the pop charts. And in 1997, he provided talk box vocals for the song California Love by Tupac Shakur, which earned him a Grammy nomination in 1997. In these later years, older brother Larry moved from on the stage to behind the books. He became the group's manager. He also served as president of another business the brothers owned, a real estate venture called Troutman Enterprises. At 7.20 a.m. on April the 25th, 1999, a Sunday morning, police in Dayton were called to a disturbing scene. Roger Troutman was lying in the alley just outside the door to the brothers' recording studio on Salem Avenue. He had been shot four times in the torso, twice in the front, twice in the back. He was still alive when paramedics arrived, but he died soon after his arrival at Good Samaritan Hospital. Witnesses told police after the gunshots they'd seen a black car tear out of the alley. Within minutes, dispatchers got a call about a car hitting a tree near the intersection of Harvard and Benson. It was just four blocks from their crime scene. Police attended it, and there they found a late model Lincoln. In the driver's seat, Roger's older brother, Larry. The coroner and investigators would determine Roger had been shot by Larry while trying to leave Larry's car back at the alley. Then Larry drove a few short blocks and shot himself in the head. Both brothers had been killed by the same three fifty seven Smith & Wesson revolver. Roger was 47. Larry was 54. With no one there to see whatever argument had broken out, Family and friends were left guessing. Police said interviews with the family revealed nobody thought there was that much friction between the brothers. When people talked about Roger and Larry, they spoke about how they would watch them walk down the street, their arms slung over each other's shoulder. With Roger as the musical talent and Larry as the businessman, they seemed to make a great team. But that didn't mean there weren't reasons for tension. The brothers' real estate venture had been bleeding money for a decade that already declared bankruptcy and owed more than $400,000 in delinquent taxes. Also, Roger had fired Larry as the manager of his personal music career. Larry had done that job for years and was probably bitter, but that didn't seem reason enough for murder. 
A funeral for the brothers was held at Solid Rock Church in the suburb of Monroe, where more than 2,000 people stopped by to pay their respects, forming a long line that weaved through the parking lot. A nephew, Clut Troutman, performed a talk box rendition of Amazing Grace. Eulogies emphasized the positive ways in which the brothers had lived and affected others. Then a motorcade took mourners to Greenwood Cemetery in their hometown of Hamilton. They were buried next to each other. In Dayton, there's a permanent reminder of the crime scene, though it was placed there to honor the brothers' role in creating what the music industry came to call the Dayton Sound. It's an Ohio historical marker on Salem Road, the site where the Troutman Sound Labs once stood. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news, clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to our website, ohiomysteries.com. We are also a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts, the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information or to check out other shows on this network, please visit evergreenpodcasts.com. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.